Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Good, great. Some are great. Some of you are waking up. Some of you are not sure how you got here. Some of you are here for a baby dedication and can't wait till I'm done. We're all good. I was looking at these kids and I was thinking of uh, when you're small, the dreams that you have. Did anybody ever dream of being a firefighter when you were small? Let me see your hand. No, nobody. Somebody back there. Some people dream they'll be firefighters. Some people dream they'll be farmers. Some people dream that they will be a mom with lots of kids. Some people dream that they will live by a beach all the days of their life. Some of you are still in dreamy, dreamy land. I dreamed that I would be a doctor one day. That's what I was when I was small. I was thinking, I'd love to be a doctor. And then I was uh, one time at the doctor. I had worked at a steel fabricating place and uh, safety was less of a concern in the 90s, and I didn't have any glasses on, and a little piece of metal got in my eye, stuck in my eye. I didn't realize it at first, and a couple of days later, it was rusting in my eye. So I went to the doctor, and I went into emergency, and he said, you have a piece of steel in your eye, and we need to take it out. And I was like, how are we going to do that? You mean my eye? Like, I need that thing. He said, no, no, no. So he put some freezing in a little, and then he came at me with a needle to come and like flick it out. And I just <laughs> fell down onto the floor right there. I discovered as well, another time I was at the hospital, Shanda was getting a cast taken off of her. And I don't know, if you work in hospitals, the Lord bless you. I can't handle the smell. I don't know what that smell is, but it's a smell. <laughs> Some of you are amazing people. We, we Hats off to you to do that. I know myself, I. Shanda was getting this cast off. If you've had a cast on for four or five weeks, it ain't pleasant what was going on in there. <laughs> Sweating and rotting flesh, I don't know what was. And it opened it up and this aroma came out. And suddenly I started to get woozy and I had to run down the hall, run down the extra hall and I burst through the door just before I fell onto the ground and I was like. <sighs> so I found out I shouldn't be a doctor. My dream was shattered that day. Sometimes we have fanciful dreams. Sometimes, though, they're the dream and the stirring of God that we've lost or we've forgotten or they've shriveled up in the busyness and hubbub of life. But what if God still has a dream in, our, in your life for your marriage, for your family, for you as an individual, for us as a church, for Canada as a nation? And two weeks ago, we, you can turn in your Bible to Haggai. You're like, what is that? That's the guy's name. Haggai. It's in the Old Testament. It's near the end if you can't find it. Or you can go on to an, uh, an electronic Bible. And this is a prophet who came to speak to the people of Israel, the people of God. In, in 586 BC, that's a long time ago, the children of Israel had gone into captivity, into bondage, uh, into another nation, into what is now present-day Iraq and Iran in that area. And they were after a number of years, they were finally able, when a new king came to the throne, to return to Jerusalem and rebuild uh, their city. The Persians had conquered, and now they said, you guys can go back. 
And they were faced with this difficult task of rebuilding their lives, rebuilding a place that had been neglected for nearly 70 years. Uh, their, every home on the block was a fixer-upper. Some of them had never lived in that city. And they came back to start rebuilding, moving the rubble, and the walls had been broken down. And the first thing that they started was rebuilding the temple uh, of God. In other words, that the, the, the presence of God would be at the center of everything that they did. And they started on that. But after a couple of years, through a series of events, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they stopped. And what they had started to do, what they had dreamed of establishing again, was gone. And every place was in challenge. And it reminds me a little bit of now. They had faith challenges where they were saying, God, do you still do what you said you would do? Are you still who you said you would do? They were facing natural challenges. There was an economy that was out of control. There was rapid inflation where it's, it says that they put their money like in pockets within ho- that had holes in them. Anybody else feel like that? Your pocket, money's going into a pocket and it's disappearing. They had political challenges. There was a government that was oppressing them, excessive taxation, persecution, all kinds of things. And then there was discouragement and depression and fear because of all that which affected everyone. And don't we live in similar times? And as we've even seen the last couple of weeks, I read an article that one of our national security advisors said recently, we have not seen the world this unstable since the end of World War II. We are seeing fractures in belief in government and we are seeing unprecedented instability. There's our, what's going on in our own worlds, in our own families. There's what's going on in the economy. There's what's going on in the global scene, in the Ukraine and in, and in Israel and the threats of war with Iran and all the things that are happening. And I see on, on social media, there's a lot of speculation as to whether now is the time is, is, it, is, is Jesus gonna return and all that. And that's, that's wonderful speculation. And that's what it is, is speculation. And sometimes we can live in speculation instead of living on purpose. I'll tell you what, I've seen some of this before. I'm now, my hair is rapidly disappearing and those that's left is all white. But I grew up in an era in the 1970s, before the internet, before Google, where there was a guy who wrote a book that was widely sold, 101 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return by 1988. You can still buy it on Amazon. It has a five-star rating, and the book is about $38. How is it a five-star rating, bro? And so we can gauge in speculation. Is now the time? Is Jesus coming? Uh, is it going to be? Then there are, but I, I hesitate to go there, and I'm not going to go there today because there's all kinds of beliefs that people have believed throughout the, year, the ages about the end times. There's pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're tripping out on. There's premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, and some people who are just panmillennial. It's all going to pan out. And at the end of it all, it is speculation. The one thing that we can agree on, whatever our perspective, is this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and belong to Jesus and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we ever be with the Lord. We can speculate, we can surmise, we can Google about it, we can have debates, but the reality is we just don't know the day or the time, but we do know that Jesus is coming again one day. 
and you need to know where you stand. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you don't know Jesus, are you ready to meet him? If you do know Jesus, are you ready to meet him? And that's kind of where I want to talk about a little bit this morning. Living in speculation or living on purpose. Because Jesus said very, very clearly, his last words to his disciples, if you're a follower of Jesus, is this. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them. That was his last words. In one of the, one of the Proverbs he also said this, or one of the parables, he said this, occupy until I come. In other words, keep busy at what I've called you to do until you see me break through the clouds. Until then, stay on mission. Stay on doing what I've called you to do. It doesn't matter if it's dark times. It doesn't matter if it, there's confusion. It doesn't matter if there's challenges to your belief system. It doesn't matter if people are walking away from God. It doesn't matter if you don't know what to do. It doesn't matter if the nations are in turmoil. It doesn't matter what's going on around you occupy until I come live on mission live on purpose it's easy to get caught up in all kinds of things but living on purpose pastor I know told me this and I maybe you have experienced this he had daughters and uh, before he went out one day he said to them one of them he said I want you to make sure while I'm out that you clean your room it's a mess so he went out and he came back. He came into the house and his daughter met him at the door. There was an aroma of cookies. And he said, whoa, what's that? She said, oh, it's, I made you cookies, Dad. It's fantastic. He said, did you clean your room? I made you cookies, Dad. They're really, really great. Did you clean your room? They're chocolate chip. You're very, very favorite, Dad. Did you clean your room? Mm. The point being that sometimes we're, distracted on doing our thing when God has given us a mandate and a mission that is his things. And Haggai challenges us with this diagnostic phrase. And it's this, and he says it about three or four times, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to the way that you're living. Give careful thought to what you're putting your life and investing your life in. What kind of life are you building? Who are you becoming? But it was more than a personal challenge. In 520, the new temple, which represented the presence of God, was meant for, to be a way for the people of God to display the goodness and the light of God to every nation. And similarly today, we in 2023 are called to reorient our life and build our life around the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus, the presence of God, the one who was before all things and in whom all things consist, that Jesus that we would, through the living of our life, fulfill our calling to be a light to display Jesus in the world today. In fact, Jesus said this, if you're a follower of his, you are the light of the world. It's an incredible statement that rings with purpose, but also with responsibility. You are the light of the world. He is the light of the ultimate light of the world, but because he lives in us, we are the light of the world. And he goes on to say, a town built on a hill 
cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Church family, followers of Jesus, that's you. You are called to light a light. You're not called to run from the darkness. You're called to run towards it. We are the light of the world. We have the message of hope. We have the message of transformation. We have the light and the presence and the power of Jesus that still moves and works today. The world needs a powerful Holy Spirit, active, moving church that displays the light of Jesus in the darkness darkness that still says that good overcomes evil. Despite what the headlines might say right now, good overcomes evil. Light overcomes darkness. And oh, that the church of Jesus like 523 would 520 BC would rise to our moment. Instead of in a world where we, we could be see all the hatred, we would respond with the light of the love of Jesus in a world filled with confusion, that we would respond and move with peace in the world, that a world that is full of darkness and anxiety, that we would be so full of the light of Jesus that we would move with hope in the world, in a world that is full of sickness and disease, that we would be agents of the light and the healing presence of Jesus, in a world with broken homes that we would say, there's hope for you still today, in a world where we see hundreds of people overdosing in our streets in Vancouver still today, in Surrey today, that we would say we have the light of hope, the deliverance power, the delivering power of Jesus Christ. We were born for this time. We were born for this time. Haggai comes to the people and challenges them to take a step to reorient their lives around God in the middle of all that was happening in their world. And it, reckon, it, it resonates with us today. Take a step, orient your life around God, reorient your life. And then we see in verse 12 of chapter 1, it says this, Then they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. This was on September the 21st, 520 B.C. to be exact. They responded to the word of the Lord. Just 23 days after they had been told, they responded. Every preacher loves that. It was recorded. Haggai says, look, they, they listened. And as they took a step, God quickly responds by saying that, hey, as you respond to me, I'm coming to help you. You're not going to do this or change yourself or change your home or change your family or do anything without the empowering grace of Jesus. And he goes on in Haggai 1 and 13 to 15. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord of the Lord to the people. I am with you. Someone say, with you. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of the governor, the spirit of the high priest, the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, in the 24th day of the sixth month. Because repentance always releases grace to renew your life. God does not leave you by yourself. Grace, he came and he said, I am with you. When we humble ourselves and reorient ourselves around God, he comes in in a powerful way and something incredible happens. His grace comes. James 4 and 6 says, he gives us more grace. When we, this is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humility means being God-reliant rather than self-reliant. We're self-reliant until we run out of our own ability, particularly in our Western culture. 
But we're called to be God-reliant in every season. And, and what I just said a few moments ago reminds us that we are in control of so little and so much of the anxiety and so much of the fear and so much of the anger is because things are out of control and we can't control them. But God calls us to reorient our life around him and walk in humility. And then he says, when you do, I extend my favor towards you. It's like I lean towards you. I lean towards you to share every benefit that I have. I've come to help you. I am with you. Who needs to be reminded today of his favor is on your life. If you're turning to God, that his favor is on your life. He is your strength. He's the reviver of your vision. He is the one who helps you. He is the lover of your soul. He is the, he is the one who heals your relationship. He is the one who does what only he can do. He is with you. His favor is on you. And then he goes on to say that there was this other mark of grace that God stirred the spirit of the leaders and of the people. And as we reorient our lives around God, he begins to stir something up within you. He begins to awaken your life. He begins to cause you to come alive in a way that maybe you've been dead to things, dead to the call of God, dead to the purpose of God, dead to how much God loves you and has a plan for your life. That they began to be stirred up and things began to move and not just in one or two or not just in a family, but certainly in families, but also in the leaders and also in the entire city. And that we would say again that God, would you stir us up a little bit? Would you, where there had been apathy, there was now action. Where there had been procrastination, there was now purpose. Where there was uh, wandering, there was now new direction. Where there was excuses, there was now excitement because God was stirring them up. And when we reorient our life around God, we can start to sense something to stir up. And sometimes, if you haven't been stirred up in your spirit enough, that you have to reorient your life around God and say, God, would you stir me again? Would you cause me to come alive again? Would you cause me to believe that you could do something fresh and new? Would you cause me to believe with hope? Would you cause me to look at my generation with anticipation? Would you cause me to believe that there will be no more suicide in Gen Z? Would you cause me to believe that, that you could transform our world? Would you cause me to stir me up with some faith, Lord? I can't work it up. If it's been a while since you've been stirred up, let me ask you to reorient your life around God. And then grace empowered them. It says they began to work. Because when the Lord is calling us to renewal, we stop asking self-centered questions. What can this do for me? And we start asking questions. How can I love and serve others? How can I respond to this great love that God has shown me? And chapter 2 begins to move on, and the word comes again in October the 17th, 520 B.C. And it seems like they were experiencing challenges and battling on the follow-through of their decision to reorient their life around God. And they were having difficulty, because how many of you know that deciding to change is easy? Actually, changing is not. Thousands of unused gym memberships will bear testimony against all of us. Whatever our change is that we're saying, God, I'm going to go after you. I'm going to. And Haggai says this because he recognized this, came to encourage them. He says, who is left of you that saw this house or this temple in its former glory? How does it look to you now? 
does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord. That is why I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Because there will be challenges to the renewal of your relationship with Jesus. There will be challenges to the renewal of, of your life to become what Jesus has called you, designed you, birthed you in this time and this generation for. There are the challenges of a slow start when you start to make change. I'll tell you a number of months ago when I started training for my half marathon, I could not go more than 100 meters without stopping. And I was like, what have I done? I told the whole church that I was going to run a half marathon. What a stupid thing to do because there is no way in 14 weeks that I'll be able to run a half marathon. And I almost quit on the first day, but I was scared of all you looking you in the eye and say, I didn't. There was a back, because they were experiencing back-breaking labor. They saw little progress. Have you ever had a monumental task in front of you and you just thought it's too big of a hill to climb? The debt is too great. The problems are so insurmountable in our relationship. There's this thing that I have to do. I don't know. My, I can't even. And thing after thing. We have to be committed to the process. How many of you love the stories of someone who is like praying? And we believe these stories. I've experienced them. We had no food left and we're praying, Lord, help us. And food shows up on our door. And we love those miracle stories and we're grateful for them. We're grateful for the stories of healing. But there's also the stories of recovery that come slower that mean physiotherapy, that can mean all things. It's not either or, sometimes both and. And very often God has us on a process when we want immediate. We're more microwave and God's more oven time or slow cooker. The challenges of slow starts to keep going. Then there's the challenge of comparison. He says, what have, have any of you seen what that temple that Solomon built? It took 200,000 laborers from start to finish, seven years to build it. 200,000. Just people working on it, seven years. They were 50,000 people, men, women, and children, who were going to attempt to build something that was far less grand, was not covered in gold, was small, seemingly insignificant. And to those who had seen the other, it seemed like nothing. Comparison can be a challenge because... Sometimes we compare to what was good, to a high point in our life. When we still sing, shout to the Lord. When we, <laughs> when we still sang that song, or we still used to dress that way, or God met me here, or whatever, and we look back, and wow, if I could only have that again. And sometimes we miss what God wants to do now because we're comparing to what God did then. And we thank God for moments like that. But we also join with Paul and say, forgetting what is behind, I press forward to what God has in front of me. Then there's also the comparison to what bad, what is bad. Everyone in the room has made an error, a mistake, something that they would say, I'd like a do-over on that one. 
but we make them worse and even longer lasting if we start comparing where we are to where we feel like we could be or should have been if only that hadn't happened. If only they hadn't walked out on me. If only my marriage hadn't blown up, I'd be somewhere by now. If only... I hadn't gotten trapped in that bad habit and lost seven years of my life. If only I had been raised in a, in a different home where there wasn't yelling and screaming and abuse and fear. And if only I hadn't experienced that loss. Or it, all of us have a if only. And if we're not careful, it can cause us to look backward with pain and regret instead of forward with vision and hope. And if you haven't been able to let, gut, let something go, do whatever you have to do to move forward. Forgive it, release it, accept it, get counsel for it, get someone, friends around you, go to a counselor, go to a doctor, do whatever you have to take, do to let it go. Release it, mourn it, grieve it, let it go so that you can begin to move forward for the rest of your life. Don't get stuck on what happened. It happened. You can't change your past, but thanks be to God that he can bring healing in your presence and change your future. Because we will never move forward looking in a rear view mirror. And there's a challenge of smallness that stops us. I'm not much, I don't have much, I'm not too smart, I'm not that gifted, I can't speak well, I can't, da 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 There's hope for all of us. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 28 says this, but God chose, say he chose. And he's gonna give a list of all of us here in a moment. The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, that are. In other words, God chose the foolish, he chose the weak, he chose the lowly, he chose the despised things that through each one of us, he could display his goodness and his glory. It wasn't that he got the leftovers and you showed up. He chose He chose you. He's calling you. He's reaching out for you. He's running after you. He's looking for you. Because everything that you need is found in Jesus. Everything that we hope is found in Jesus. And Jesus still specializes in doing great things with small things. It was Jesus who called a stuttering man who was up on a manslaughter charge was in exile in the desert looking after sheep named Moses and he called him to face down a king. It was Jesus who called an illegitimate shepherd boy forgotten by his family, rejected by his family and God called him from that and said, I've called you to be the king and before you ever get that, you're gonna take out a giant but I'm illegitimate, forgotten, overlooked. Jesus called ordinary, nondescript people 
who didn't have it all together, who had a past, who had a story, who had just regular people and said, I've called you to be the disciples of me and through you the world is going to be changed, forever impacted. And the story has been ordinary people, foolish people, unwise people, people who don't have it all together, people with stories and past, people with mixed up, people brought out of addiction, people brought out of adultery, people brought out of divorce, people brought out of confusion by the power and the goodness of Jesus. And that's been the story of generation upon generation. Hospitals have been built by outcasts. People have been healed by people who had no medical training. People have been set free by people who were touched by Jesus and healed themselves. Freely you have received, freely give. We cannot hide behind the excuse, well, I'm a nobody. That's the kind of people Jesus picks. We cannot hide behind this excuse of, I don't have anything. Everything you need, First Peter 5 says, was for life and godliness is found in Jesus. I don't, uh, I can't sing, I can't preach, and I can't either, but they let me up here. I can't go as a missionary. I'm too old, I'm too young, I have a past. We just give God our yes and let him lead us. And at some point, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on what Jesus might be doing in the world. Lift our eyes up and see what God might be trying to do in our generation. Lift our eyes up and look at what Jesus might be trying to do on our, our university campuses. Lift our eyes up and look what Jesus might want to do in your workplace. Lift your eyes up and look what Jesus might want to do in your family. Because sometimes we have to hear the divine invitation from the Lord. Hey, would you reorient your life around me? Will you partner with me in this generation? So how do we sustain renewal? We're almost done. Number one is actively rely on Jesus. In verse four or five, the word of the Lord said, I am with you and my spirit remains among you. Zechariah four and six, the next book, and he was another one of the prophets around the same time, said this, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And because of that, what are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Think of it, the biggest obstacle in your life right now. And when Jesus calls you to reorient your life, there comes an authority and an anointing upon your life to start to speak to some mountains, some obstacles, some things that hold you and say, who are you to stand before me and the call of God? You will become level ground. God is taking you down in front of me. Insecurity, you're going down. Rejection, you're going down. Fear, you're going down. Financial lack, you're going down. Sickness, you're going down. Your mm, it's going down. Your mm, it's going down. The anointing and call of God is upon you. To, so we actively tap into Jesus. It's not some talisman. We have to Go after and pursue Jesus. He's pursuing you, but get into prayer. Get into the word of God. When there's a prayer time like there is tonight, worship and prayer, show up. Do a Bible reading plan. On. There's this app called YouVersion. You all can find an app to, to find the, the stars in the sky. We can find apps to look at which plane is coming. And there's an app to find the Bible. You can use it. It's amazing. It has all kinds of plans. If you have a problem with anger, 
there's a plan for you. If you have a problem with this, if you'd like to grow in this, there's thousands of them, and it's all free. Your second favorite word after Jesus is free. But move from passive to active in your relationship. Actively rely on Jesus. Second part of that, though, is you must actively resist apathy because we tend to slow down. And there's three phrases that were said in verse four or five. First one is be strong. Be strong. It's one of the marks of a faithful believer is strength and courage and boldness. He said, be strong, priest. Be strong, governor. Be strong, people. Turn to someone and say, be strong. It starts, though, with actively relying on Jesus. Then he comes again and he says, hey, number two, don't fear. Don't be passive and cower in fear. Isaiah 41 and 10 says this, fear not for I am with you, says the Lord. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. It's you and Jesus. It's me and Jesus. It's Jesus and me. It's Jesus helping me. It's me saying yes to Jesus. It's not all on Jesus and it's not all on you. There's a partnership that comes together. And finally, work. <clears throat> that's the one. That's the hardest. Work. Keep your commitment when you don't want to. Sometimes the best thing you can do to reorient your life around Jesus is just show up and do your commitments around serving Jesus. It's good to ask Jesus to help you, but also tell somebody what you're going to try to do. See, when I told three, 400 people that I was going to run a half marathon, I was kind of committed. Ask Jesus and tell a friend to help you commit to a Bible plan, devotional plan, and then do it. Ask Jesus and tell a friend to help you commit to pray regularly and then do it. Ask Jesus to help you be courageous and tell a friend, I'm going to join a group or a class. Ask Jesus to, and tell a friend to help you commit to start participating in service and then do it. Ask Jesus and tell a friend to help you commit to maybe 30 minutes a day of less entertainment and invest 30 more minutes a day into your family. Whatever it might be, those are just some examples to draw near to God and passive, move from passive to active. Because have you considered that you just might be the weapon that God is going to use to wreak havoc on darkness? The darkness in your family, the darkness in your generation, the darkness at your workplace, the darkness in our world, the darkness in our city. There's so much darkness. But what would it look like if the hundreds of people in this room said, I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to reorient my life around God? See, there's a time for the cocoon that we build around ourselves to keep ourselves safe and comfortable. But if you stay in the cocoon too long, it means you've died. That cocoon that was first meant to form you, to protect you, will eventually become a prison. You're meant to fly. 
You're meant to display the beauty and the goodness of God through his power, evidence changing in your life, changing your attitude, changing your speech, changing your hopes, changing your dreams as the power of God transforms you and takes you into new spaces and into new places because he's working on you, his transforming power. It's time to dream, to get back to God's dream for your life and put it back on the front burner. Put it back on the front burner of your life. Because the world needs us, needs people that are following Jesus to say, there's hope. There's hope. There's still hope in the world. There's still light and darkness. Goodness is still overcoming evil. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where there's discouragement, we bring hope down. Where there's hatred, we bring love down. Where there's lack of peace, we bring peace down. And that's what the people of God are meant to bring into the world. Because our home is there. And we are passing through and we bring the atmosphere of Jesus as we reorient around him. What would happen? What might happen if we, if you, if me, if we or reorient our lives around Jesus? What could you do? Who could it help? Parents, imagine parents discipling children to love Jesus and transform their generation. Get God's dream back. Lawyers training to set sex trafficking victims free. Get God's dream back. Doctors and nurses bringing hope and healing to the sick and the dying. Get God's dream back. Businesses that have a vision for prosperity so that they can use it to change many, many lives. Get God's dream back. Politicians and policy writers who will affect culture. Get God's dream back. Creatives who will be writing and taking photos and painting and filming to bring Jesus glory. Get God's dream back. It's far more than what happens in these four walls. Educators that will shape the next generation for God. Get God's dream back. Don't just go to work. Revivalists and missionaries that are burning and going to see lost people found. Get God's dream back. People who go to their office or to their work site and say, God, would you use me and help me to be a light? Get God's dream back. I invite you to stand and we're going to close. I want to ask one question. Keep your eyes closed for a moment. Just give privacy to the people around you. How many of us would say, God, I need you to stir up my spirit again? Yeah. Stir up my spirit again. I'm just going to pray some things. And Jesus, I need, to, I need you to help me break out of my self-centeredness and my apathy. Jesus, I need you to help me break out of my discouragement. 
I need you to help me break out of my self-pity. I need you to help me break out of my small thinking. I need you to help me break out of my disappointment. I need you to help me to break out through the paralysis of analysis. I need you to help me to break out of my excuses. And whatever you need the help, Lord, we need you to stir our spirit again. Lord, that we would look with eyes of faith, with eyes of anticipation, not at what was, not at what the, the mistakes that have been made, not at any of that. But Lord, thank you that because of this, the transforming power of Jesus, whatever has happened in our life, Lord, that you can turn us around for our, for our good and for your glory, that everything that the enemy intended for evil, you can turn around for good. And so, Lord, I pray and ask in the strong name of Jesus that we would be stirred by the Spirit of God to be renewed, to reorient our life around God. Lord, that the things that, have, that would discourage us, that we would put those to the side, be aware of them, but actively pursue Jesus and actively resist the powers that would stop us. We need you, Jesus. Our world needs the church to be alive. So we look to you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I invite you to just pray that something to those effect out of your own heart. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Reorient my life. Help me to let go of what needs to be let go of. Help me to embrace what I need to embrace in this season. That I'll allow the dream of God to grip my heart again that I will not just live and pass through life and say he did, he existed, or she existed, but they died empty, doing all that God has called them to do, that that will be the mark of each and every one of us. Give us courage in these days, Lord Jesus. Help us to walk with faith and expectancy. There's no one like you, Jesus. I invite you just to maybe place a hand, ask the person beside you if you can put a hand on their shoulder for the next 60 seconds. Pray for them. Pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit of God, a fresh release of the Spirit of God, everything that Jesus knows that they need. Go ahead, pray out loud. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.